Hi ladies and gents and welcome back to the channel today and as you can see I made it back from London safely. That was an interesting trip over the last few days and I wanted to share a personal story with you today because I've noticed all over the, the media and in all the papers we're having all these sort of headlines about the uh, migrant crisis not just in the UK but in a lot of other countries around the world. So I thought I would share with you a story which I didn't really think relevant or that anyone would be interested in until I started seeing all these stories about the Home Office in the UK using hotels right throughout the UK for housing uh, migrants, uh, refugees, asylum seekers and things like that. And I just want to be clear on this video. As I always try to do, I'm going to try and be as unbiased as possible. Even though I was affected by one of these events, I'm going to try and be as unbiased as possible, show you uh, pros and cons, obviously, for migration. And we're going to talk about the different forms of migration as well, because the media makes it out as if every single person is uh, an asylum seeker, you know, fleeing persecution and fleeing being murdered in their own country when actually that's just simply not true. There are different categories of uh, migrants. So we'll talk about that as well. But let's get into the story then and let me share with you. So last year then, when I went to London, we stayed at a pretty nice hotel in central London and this coach arrived and it was full of uh, refugees or asylum seekers. I'm not exactly sure what. And you'll probably recall I talked about it a year ago and and my experience with it. And, and I said, it didn't really bother me in any way. Did I care that I was paying 250 pounds? I think it was for the night for the hotel. Whereas these people weren't paying anything for it. Not really because I didn't know their background. I didn't know their circumstances and, and what they'd been through. And I could afford the hotel. So I didn't really care that much. But then this year, this is where it did affect me. But again, first world problems, let's just call it. I mean, these are not big things. But what happened was I checked into my hotel, or should I say my wife did because I was actually in a meeting. And when she arrived there, the front desk manager said, I'm really sorry, madam, but uh, unfortunately your room is not available because it's gone to a corporate booking. And she says, what do you mean? I mean, we all know now what corporate booking means. It means um, asylum seekers or refugees or, or migrants. Um, it's pretty, it's what all the hotels use now. So if you ever hear corporate booking, that tends to be what it is. And my wife said, oh, what is this corporate booking? He said, well, I'm not able to say. And there was a lot of security, you know, with the armbands in the foyer. And there was a lot of migrants in the foyer with a lot of black bags filled with clothes and things. So again, same situation as last year. Did we really care that we were paying for a four-star hotel and that there were migrants there who were getting the hotel for free? No, not really. It doesn't really bother us. We're not those sort of people that are bothered by such things we tend to only sleep in the room. We get up early, have breakfast and go, and we don't get back to the room until late at night anyway. So it doesn't really bother us in any way. But what did bother us was that the manager said, your room isn't available anymore. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you're gonna have to find accommodation elsewhere. Alternatively, we've got you a room just down the street. And we thought, what, is, what does that mean, a room down the street? So anyway, he takes my wife and her bags 
down the street, up some stairs to this tiny little box room that had two single beds in it and a really nasty bathroom. And to top it all off, he said, unfortunately, you know, none of the facilities are available to you um, because it's it's booked out for the corporate booking. So you can't use the gym or the, you know, the swim. We weren't going to use these anyway. But he said the restaurant as well is off limits to us. Um, so if we want to stay, then we can't use the restaurant. So even though we'd booked the hotel room way in advance, um, this situation happened. So we said, okay, fine, we'll stay one night and then we'll go the next day. And that's what we did basically. We went to another hotel. Well, the same, well, not the same, but a similar thing happened at the next hotel. We checked in and they said, we, you can't stay in the main hotel, but you can stay in the annex. And again, the annex was not a very nice room. So uh, you've probably experienced this yourself if you're in the UK. You're booking this room that looks really, really nice, but then you're getting put into a room that looks nothing like it and it's somewhere down the street. And this is all over the, the news at the moment. It's being very hotly uh, debated in Parliament about the whole situation. I just want to play you a clip actually here. To be clear, like the majority of the British people, I am very concerned about hotels, but I've never blocked their usage. So let's stop pretending that they are all refugees in distress. The whole country knows that that is not true. Okay, so there's a couple of things to unpack here, and I am going to go into the shared screen now. We're going to go through a lot of data and, and look at a lot of points around this. But first, I just want to begin by bringing you back to this video that I made. Um, this was over two years ago, so it was in 2020. And bearing in mind, we're coming into 2023 very shortly. Uh, you can see just how accurate this has been. Of, for example, involuntary migration, mass migration to uh, richer countries. It's been called the largest Central American migrant caravan in decades. The fourth boat of migrants that we have seen so far today. Half a million and more, as we know, are coming. And at the moment, the numbers show every sign not of declining, but of intensifying. Now, firstly, let's just look at what the Home Secretary is being dragged over the coals by the media for saying. The British people deserve to know which party is serious about stopping the invasion on our southern coast. So she said it is an invasion on our southern border. So I looked up the word invasion here and we've got three definitions. Uh, so the first one doesn't apply. But if we look at the um, example two and three here, it says an occasion when a large number of people or things come to a place in an annoying and unwanted way. So I think for, I can't speak for everybody, but I think for a lot of British people, this would definitely apply. And then the next one is an action or process that affects someone's life in an unpleasant and unwanted way. And I think we can definitely agree that some people, again, in the UK will feel this way, whether it's their hotel room being given away, which again is a very minor inconvenience versus some people who have had some very, very bad situations uh, involving crime or actually living next to a, a refugee center or something like that where they've been uh, disproportionately affected. But again, I am going to come on to both sides of this just so people 
people don't get upset with these comments. But let's look firstly at what the difference is between an asylum seeker, a refugee, and an economic migrant. Because I feel as though the, the general public doesn't understand the difference between these three categories. So firstly, an asylum seeker then is someone who's seeking international protection in countries with individualized procedures. An asylum seeker is someone whose claim has not been finally decided on by the country in which he or she has submitted it. Not every asylum seeker will ultimately be recognized as a refugee, but every refugee is initially an asylum seeker. Okay, so we've got that definition. Refugee is a person who has fled their country of origin and is unable or unwilling to return because of a well-founded fear of being persecuted because of their race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion. Okay, so we know those two, we hear about those all the time. But there's also another category and that is economic migrant. So this is a person who travels from one country or area to another in order to improve their standard of living. And the reason I wanna make that very clear is because what the media is saying is that all of the, the people coming in on the dinghies and you know other routes are refugees and asylum seekers. But actually, we do have the data, we do have the studies to show, and again, the media will never put this out, that this simply isn't true. I actually did a story last year which covered how there were a lot of men who were coming over in the dinghies and the speedboats, and they were paying in order to get to the UK. Nihat and Dahir from northern Iraq. Yeah. They received the uh, GPS pins from smugglers card? to their mm -hmm. phones. And you paid 2,100 yes. euros. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that someone who is in an impoverished nation and being persecuted and just doesn't have any resources at all would not have three to seven thousand euros and, and and let me be clear on this a lot of these have to be paid up front in cash in in that amount now of course there is modern day slavery and there are other things that account for this so some of those people will agree to go into criminal gangs or networks or, or something similar or even just normal everyday work under the under the table in order to pay back that crossing fee so yes it's not as cut and dry as you may think but this does create another problem in that if a lot of people are coming over under those uh, terms and conditions that they're going to work in criminal gangs, then it could amplify more and more criminal activity, whether that person was a criminal before they arrived or not. But this is where it gets slightly controversial then, in that the home office is actually paying, not the hotels directly, but they're paying this other firm to handle all of this. So a company contracted by the home office to manage hotels and other accommodation for asylum seekers, and again, this is not quite accurate because this also includes economic migrants, increased its profits more than sixfold last year with its three directors sharing dividends of almost 28 million pounds. Clear Springs Ready Homes has a 10-year contract to manage accommodation in England and Wales. A mix of hotel accommodation that the Home Office is saying is costing more than five million pounds a day and that's of course to the British taxpayer. Clear Springs boosted its profits from 4.4 million up to 28 million pounds to the year ending 31st of January 2022 with dividends jumping from 7 million up to almost 28 million. And if you'd like to get even more information on this, 
you can go on to uh, this article. You can always see the URL in the top of the bar here, um, but, but this article details it all in absolute minute detail. It's costing 1.3 billion pounds per year, which again is quite a contentious topic as the government is talking about raising taxes on the British taxpayer in order to fill the black hole and help with uh, a lot of the, the migration costs and, and all this sort of thing. Whereas a lot of the British people simply don't want to pay for, well, what, what's going on here because, and we'll get into the pros and cons of migration in a moment, but British people are constantly told that the NHS, the National Health Service, is stretched to the limit. But then the people who are coming into the, to the country get priority medical treatment. So of course this pushes up the costs onto the health service and draws out resources from the citizens. So again, it's a very contentious issue. But figure two here shows asylum claimants receiving taxpayer funded support. And we can see 2014, 15, 16, all the way up to 21 when it jumped up a little bit to 62,871 claimants. But now in 2022, this has almost doubled to 116,000 claimants. And that was just up to June of this year. And we know it's gone up a lot more since then. And we also have a lot of data on the number of people housed in hotels since the start of 2020. So we see this has been going up dramatically. So uh, 25,000 people, which differs from the City AM article, which says it is 30,000 people. And ladies and gents, I would love for you to just drop a comment below as to what you think about this situation. Is it, as the Home Secretary called it, an invasion of the southern border of the UK? Is it a, a chaos and you know a crisis out of control? Uh, what do you actually think about this? Because I know whenever I talk about migration, it's always a highly controversial subject. Some people get upset by it. Some people think that there should be no migration whatsoever. Other people think only um, qualified migration and that because a lot of this is illegal migration, it should be stopped. But on to this article then, direct refugee immigration to the UK is now 57 times the previous level. Around 240,000 people were able to directly come and resettle in the UK in the year to June 2022, compared with an annual average of 4,200 during the period of 2015 to 2020. Since the start of 2021, around 150,000 refugees have come from Ukraine, and I didn't even know that, um, that number myself, while around 120,000 people have come via the pathway to settlement for overseas British nationals from Hong Kong. Meanwhile, just over 20,000 refugees were resettled from Afghanistan in the midst of the Taliban's seizure of power last year. And another statistic we have here, almost 40,000 people have crossed the English Channel in small boats so far this year. And again, we have this chart here showing 2022 just here compared to previous years. Now, I thought this one was quite interesting, this paragraph. So this is talking about failed asylum claims. And it says, of the more than 17,000 potential returnees identified under that rule, only 21 had actually left our shores. So that actually shows that there is a problem here in that if someone's asylum claim 
is refused, denied, that under the law they should be sent back to their home country. But actually it's saying here that only 21 had actually been returned. So I think it's quite clear that there's some sort of a breakdown, there's a problem here. Some have now been allowed to make asylum claims, but it appears that more than 9,000 are in limbo, housed by the Home Office, yet blocked from applying to legally stay and get a job. And I think this is another part of the issue. And I'm going to come on to the pros and cons of migration in a moment in terms of jobs as well. But I think this is one of the other issues because they are not being allowed to work and therefore then contribute into the system by paying taxes and, and such things. The British people are seeing, and not just British, but other European nations and USA, etc. as well. But the, the residents are seeing that they are paying for all of these people that have entered into the country who they are seeing as a drain on the finances and the healthcare system. So when we look at it in this way then, surely one of the biggest problems is with the government not getting these asylum claims processed quick enough. And if they are genuinely an asylum seeker and they want to actually work in the UK, well, there's loads of job vacancies, absolutely loads that are unfulfilled. So if people who are claiming asylum come in and they are willing to take those jobs, well, that solves a problem there. But with the government not allowing them to work and then paying for all of the housing and food costs and medical and everything else, you can sort of see why the taxpayers are getting upset by that because it's not the government's money, you see. It's the taxpayers' money. So I think we can kind of come to an agreement here that the breakdown is with the government not having efficient systems to actually process all of these claims correctly. So finally, let's look at some pros and cons and then we'll go into a historical example of migration then. So what are the impacts of migration on the destination location? So I have put in green the ones that I agree with and red in the ones that I don't agree. So these are positive ones. So workers will work for low wages and are prepared to do jobs that local people do not want to do. Increased cultural diversity. I've put this in orange because I don't completely agree with this. Yes, diversity is good because you get more richness of culture, but at the same time, sometimes it can fragment a society. And I've seen this happen a lot. I've seen it happen in a lot of UK cities where it is fragmented. It isn't, you know, um, all joined together and cohesive. So I think this is a fairly neutral topic. Skills gap, definitely boost to the local economy. Yes, if they are permitted to work and pay taxes. Government tax revenues increase. Again, yes, I, I put this in red because at the moment many people are not being permitted to work, but also many local people may say that they don't want migrants taking their jobs. So it's both a pro and a con actually. Uh, public services can benefit from an influx of qualified staff, e.g. doctors and nurses. And we're definitely seeing that with healthcare systems at the moment. Uh, migrant groups can increase birth rates. Again, is that a positive? I'm fairly neutral on that topic, actually. So here are the negative impacts then. Pressure on public services, such as schools, housing, and healthcare, definitely. Uh, overcrowding, language and cultural barriers, increased levels of pollution, increased pressure on natural resources, racial tensions and discrimination. Local people can miss out on jobs due to increased competition from migrants. This is what I just mentioned actually. Uh, migrant groups may not assimilate into local communities. I definitely agree with this. 
and gender imbalance. Usually men are more likely to migrate. Well, I'm glad someone is actually saying that. So let's look at a historical example then from ancient Athens. So what were the reasons for migration back in the day? The reasons have more or less remained the same. Fleeing war, natural catastrophes, a prospect for a better life, exile and so on. In ancient Greece, migration was a common occurrence. But let's look at how they handled it then. Metics, which is what the migrants were called, occupied in an intermediate position between visiting foreigners and citizens, having both privileges and duties. They were a recognized part of the Athenian community and distinctively protected by law, although subject to restrictions on marriage, property ownership and citizens' rights, such as the right to vote. Metics constituted a significant source of workforce and skilled labor and comprised a large part of the population of Athens by the 5th century BCE. So this is a good point actually because we're seeing how migration is done well in other countries where they require certain skills but the, the general populace doesn't have that skills or isn't willing to work for lower wages. Despite all this, metics were regarded with suspicion by some Athenians as possible conspirators that would see to the fall of the city. They were also regarded as inferior since they did not possess citizen rights. Others, however, recognized their invaluable contribution to the state. So again, similar to today, some people see it as very positive, some very negative. In order to become a metic in ancient Athens, one needed to have a sponsor. So this is very interesting. A citizen of Athens that would vouch for them. They had to be drafted in military service like the citizens, pay higher taxes than the citizens as well. So we'll leave it with that then. But overall, a very sort of contentious topic today. I'd really love to hear your views on everything that I've covered right the way through here. Hopefully I've been as unbiased as I possibly can. But again, coming back to the video I made in 2020, I've known just through historical cycles um, and, and studying here that this was going to happen and it is going to increase. In fact, if some of the statistics are correct by around 1 billion people in the world, so a huge percentage of the world actually migrating by the year 2050 due to all sorts of crises that we are seeing building up. So migration isn't going to be going anywhere anytime soon. And it's not just in the poorer nations. We're also seeing it in developed nations as well at the moment. A lot of I'm a migrant myself at the moment, I guess we could say, migrating from the UK to the island that I live on. So this is nothing new. Migration has been going on for a long time, but I think it's just the way that things are handled and just making sure that the system is set up to actually deal with migration in the correct and legal manner. All right, well, thank you so much for watching today. Uh, take care, God bless. I'll see you again tomorrow.